You're listening to another episode of Living Well with Eisenhower Health. Healthcare as it should be. According to the CDC, colorectal cancer, better known as colon cancer, is a disease where cells in the colon or rectum grow uncontrollably. A way to detect abnormalities in this part of the body is by undergoing a colonoscopy. But what exactly is this and why is it necessary? Joining us is Dr. Ayub Ilyas, a colon rectal surgeon with Eisenhower's General Surgery Specialty Clinic. This is Living Well with Eisenhower Health. My name is Prakash Chandran. So Dr. Ilyas, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate your time. Now, I think broadly, we've all heard about a colonoscopy before, but talk about it at a high level and the guidelines for colon cancer screening today. All right. Thank you for the opportunity. Colon cancer or colon and rectal cancer is the second most common cancer-related mortality in the United States. And it's the third most common cancer in both men and women in the United States as well. But fortunately, we can identify or prevent, identify the cancer early or even prevent the cancer by doing screening tests. One of the most common tests or the most efficient tests to achieve this objective is to do a colonoscopy. What is a colonoscopy? A colonoscopy is visualization of the inner lining of the entire colon and rectum. And this is done by the procedure called as colonoscopy. And this involves doing a bowel prep, cleaning the colon and rectum, forms the most important part of the procedure or most taxing part of the procedure, which is to clean the colon and rectum. And after that, a gastroenterologist visualize the insides of your colon and rectum by using what we call as a colonoscope. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So in terms of when we should be proactive about getting this type of screening, is there a certain age that people are eligible to start screening? Yeah, as we grow older, unfortunately, what happens is we have to conform to what we call as health maintenance guidelines. Just like we have a car for about three years and start doing maintenance work. These are preventative maintenance works, like getting air conditions or a heater checked at your place every year and so on. So similar to breast cancer screening, colon cancer screening is recommended once you cross a certain age. In a normal risk adult men and women, in the past, we started doing colon cancer screening at the age of 50. But over the last few years, or last few decades, what we realized that we are missing out on a lot of colon and cancer cases in younger patients. So the last, we revised our guidelines, and now we start cancer screening for colon cancer at the age of 45. And this is for an average person with average risk. Who is an average person with an average risk? Anyone who does not have any personal history of colon cancer or anybody, immediate family members, or we call as first-degree relatives without any history of colon cancer, or they do not have any inflammatory conditions, what we call as ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease. And patients with none of these risk factors would fall under average risk category. And these patients have to undergo colonoscopy starting the age of 45. And how often do we do this? Normally about every 10 years. But based on the findings from the first colonoscopy, it may vary. And that will be helped by your gastroenterologist or your primary care physician. So you talked about people at normal risk. I'd like to talk 
about the people on the other side of that, people at high risk. I imagine this is people with a family history or some of the risk factors that you just mentioned. But can you go into that in a little bit more detail? Yeah, the family history. Now it forms who in the family and what age. And if someone, if your grandfather has the age of 80 or 90, that doesn't increase your risk significantly. But unfortunately, if your first degree relative, which means your father, mother, or brother, sisters, any one of them had colon cancer, that does increase the risk of colon cancer. And the more early in their age, younger patients developing colon cancer, that means the risk is higher. The chances of being familial or having a genetic component is high. Let's say if a person develops colon cancer at the age of 50, so his son or her son or daughter should get 10 years prior to that, that is at the age of 40. If the person develops at the age of 40, then the previous, the next generation person should get it at the age of 30. Not just that, his siblings should also get it. I mean, they're also at a higher risk. They, they should get it if they haven't gotten one yet, depending based on the age. Okay. Now, let's talk about the procedure itself. Since people are told they have polyps when they're screened, tell us exactly what a polyp is and why it's important if they are found to be removed. Sure. The good thing about colon cancer is it doesn't develop overnight or over a few weeks. It develops over months to years. And an average colon cancer, when we identify it, has been there for years. That lag period is helpful for us to identify during a colonoscopy, right? So when it develops, and the, the, the term we use is nip it in the bud stage, because the colon cancer does not develop as a cancer per se to begin with. Some abnormal growth of normal-looking cells over months and years become abnormal growth of abnormal-looking cells. When this, the cells become invasive, meaning it penetrates through the tissues into other areas, through the walls of the colon, that's when it becomes from, it turns from precancerous into cancerous. When we call polyps, I don't want to label it totally, but most of the polyps are the important ones, what we are interested in, precancerous polyps. Meaning, if I let those polyps in place for a long time, some of them, not all of them, some of them can turn into cancer. So what I do is, by doing a colonoscopy, we can identify these precancerous polyps. And we can potentially remove them so that they do not become cancer. Simply put it, nip it in the butts. That's what colonoscopy is all about. Okay, so just to be clear, if polyps are found, you can immediately remove them during the colonoscopy, right? For most part, yes. It depends, again, on certain parameters, meaning if the polyp is huge or large, and if they cannot be removed endoscopically, then we look at other options. For most part, more than 90% of the ballpark figure, more than 90% of the polyps we see could be potentially be removed by a colonoscopy. Okay, understood. So if a cancerous polyp is found during a colonoscopy, what happens? Do you just remove it and that's that, or is there further analysis that is needed? I would give you two scenarios. I remove a suspicious polyp completely, and 
on analysis, what we call as pathology, putting under the microscope, I find an area of uh, foci of cancer. The whole thing doesn't normally turn into cancer. Cancer develops in one foci of the growth. If that is there, we look at the margins and see if we need to do anything addition or not. Uh, the second scenario is if I see a huge growth, I know when I see it, it, is, it looks like cancer and I cannot remove it. What I do is I take a small piece of it for biopsy, put it on a microscope, find confirm that it is cancer. Once we make the diagnosis of cancer, the second thing is we're going to find out where all is this cancer. It is just localized to the wall, hasn't gone to other places like lymph nodes, other, other organs, and so on. So what we do is a staging workup and figure out what stage the cancer is. And then Based on that, we do the treatment accordingly. Okay. And I'm curious around any statistics that might be available that show the decrease in colon cancer because of people being proactive and getting colonoscopies. Can you share anything around that? Yeah, it decreases. You know, the question is, we have done multiple studies and looked at what is the effect of doing the colonoscopy. Some of these studies, you know, overall in a ballpark figure is that it reduces the mortality from cancer, from colon and rectal cancer by about 25%. And it's some of them, we need a lot of evidence to convince ourselves, but this is so simple because you see and like I use the word, the term, nip it in the bud stage. And then those, we, those patients who have advanced cancers, the ones I see in my practice, are the ones either have not had a colonoscopy or, or for most part, who, haven't had a, who has not had a colonoscopy, had a missed period wherein they did not have a colonoscopy as per their recommendation. And at this point, I just want to bring the comparison with the mammography. Mammogram to done to identify a breast cancer, it only diagnoses that you may have a breast cancer. Importantly, we do a biopsy and we can confirm it that you have a breast cancer, but it doesn't treat you for the breast cancer. But the colonoscopy is so that for many times, we, one can screen for colonoscopy and nip it in the butt, screen for colon cancer, nip it in the butt stage. If not, early cancers, you can potentially remove them. If not, if it turns out to be an advanced cancer, we can diagnose them as well. So there is, there's a lot more advantages in, in, with colonoscopy in relation to colon cancer compared to other screening tests. That's why there's a lot of impetus towards going and getting these screenings done, despite having to, to go through the hassle of a ball prep. And it takes about at least 48 hours off everyone's routine schedule to get it done and go, uh, go to a place and have the procedure done. Well, let's actually talk about the bowel prep. I know that prep is something that people normally have a lot of anxiety about, but maybe you can just start by telling us what bowel prep is. I mean, a colon is the conduit for fecal matter, colon and rectum, obviously. It's, uh, most of us uh, will have uh, feces within them. So to evaluate the lining of the colon and the rectum, we got to clean the colon and rectum of all the material within them. So this is achieved by bowel prep, which means literally rinsing your colon off, completely cleaning it off. And unfortunately, we don't have any magic pill which can do it with the least amount of discomfort to the patients. So there are multiple options available and uh, multiple uh, commercially available products to have that taken care of. Some of them are done in one go or some of them done in 
sessions, depending on the timing of your colonoscopy, and also depending on the preference of the endoscopist or the gastroenterologist. And compared to in the past, the things have improved, and but still it is a hassle. It is the most important bottleneck with colonoscopy is to having to go through the ball prep. But if you are able to do that, then you could identify colon cancer pretty early. So what exactly does it mean to do prep? Is it a juice that you take? Tell us a little bit about the prep itself. And also, I've heard that it's gotten better over time. So maybe talk about that as well. There are multiple commercially available options available compared to, I mean, starting from having to drink one gallon of Go Lightly or polyethylene glycol-based products or those products which you can mix with water. There are guidelines on it. And again, what type and you can have clear liquid diet and what color you can have and so on. Specific instructions would be given to you on a broader perspective. They've become Definitely not very friendly, but much friendlier than in the past. And the the incidence of nausea and vomiting are a lot less compared to in the past. And the amount of uh, dehydration patients would endure from having to go through the bowel prep are a lot less these days than before. So I'd love to ask a little bit about what happens during a colonoscopy. Is there pain involved? What's the recovery time? What is the length of the procedure? Anything that you can share would be helpful. Yeah. Colonoscopy, when you are due for one and you will be referred either by your primary care doctor, you'll have to see your gastroenterologist. So that would involve either seeing a gastroenterologist or a pre-op or pre-procedural visit before you actually share up for the procedure. On the day when you have to have the procedure, you've already prepped yourself, your training, you'll be given a specific time to show up to the procedural suite. And then once you show up, you will end up having an IV placed in you. And the good thing is, for most part, most of the colonoscopies are done under sedation. Thing is, you will not know that you are having a procedure because you are sedated. A lot of the patients or most of the patients say, hey, is that it over? And I didn't know, even know that I had a procedure. So they are given done with something called what we call as propofol, and the patients are very comfortable. Compared to in the past, we used to sufflate the colon with air and do the procedures. And those patients had a lot of discomfort because they have to expel the air because we have to distend the colon and the rectum to see the lining, every centimeter of the lining of the colon and rectum. Because some of the lesions are pretty sneaky and they are very subtle. So we've got to be very careful about it. And But now we don't use uh, air anymore. We use carbon dioxide. The good thing is carbon dioxide gets absorbed, I think, more than 200 times more than air. So that makes it so fast. And by the time you come out of the procedure, you don't have a distended abdomen and you pretty much don't have any pain. The incidences of complication is very low. This is very safe. It's definitely not without any risk of complications, which can be simply from simple things like abdominal discomfort and anesthesia-related complications or any bleeding from the site where we remove the polyp and so on, to a very tiny risk of perforating the colon during the procedure, particularly if your procedure is very difficult, you've had previous issues related to the colon, or you end up removing a big polyp and then what we call as an advanced polyp, the risk of perforating the colon becomes higher. And that needs to be treated as an in an inpatient setup if that happens. One of the things that I've heard is that 
colon cancer is getting people younger and younger. So aside from significant family history, are there any other signs or symptoms that younger people should be looking out for or surfacing to their primary care physicians? Not really. You know, uh, people should get on with their life. But if there are any changes in bowel habit or if there's any bleeding per rectum or if there's any weight loss, meaning you're not on a diet, but you're losing weight. And if you feel a lump in the belly, and if you were diagnosed with anemia and we do not have a reason for your anemia, those are all the reasons for having to have a higher suspicion of colon cancer. Unfortunately, there are no specific symptoms to look for in a younger patient. The symptoms are pretty much the same in older and younger. But the, but in younger patients, if someone has, let's say, a rectal bleeding, the general attitude is to put it down to, let's say, hemorrhoids or, or anal fissure or something. And but still, for most part, rectal bleeding in younger patients is likely to be non-cancer-related than cancer-related. But let's say if it, or there are any other high-risk features, or if you see multiple multitude of risk factors, it would be prudent to get a colonoscopy. And those are the things which you need to discuss with your primary care doctor or with your gastroenterologist, which is worthwhile doing a colonoscopy as well. Now, do you have any thoughts around why we might be seeing an increase in younger people getting colon cancer? Is it dietary? Could it be obesity-related? Do you have any thoughts there? Multitude of factors, usually not unifactorial. You put it down already. Obesity is a risk of a multitude of cancers, and including colon cancer. And then changes in our diet, we become more animals who eat processed meat than, than unprocessed food. I mean, so uh, we, we all eat less fiber and, and processed food, particularly red meat, tend to increase the risk of colon cancer. Also, environmental and the genetic component comes into play as well. Okay. And one of the last things I wanted to ask you about is alternatives to colonoscopies. Like, I've always heard that colonoscopies are the gold standard, but I've also seen commercials for things like ColorGuard and other things like that. Can you speak about those alternatives? Yeah, there are uh, tool DNA tests available. In the past, we used to do blood tests in the stool, and those are a little bit more primitive, less sensitive. And broadly, let me put it broadly as a stool or blood-based test and direct visualization test. The uh, stool test or the commercially available ColoGuard, it looks at the stool DNA and the presence of blood in the stool and altered DNA in, in the stool. This gives you, it's a reasonably sensitive test, but if it becomes positive, you will still need a colonoscopy. And again, it can potentially miss some of the patients who have colon cancer, so it's not 100% sensitive. Uh, other than ColoGuard, there are other tests which you can look to see if there's any blood in the stool. They are less sensitive and less specific. And apart from the stool-based test and the direct visualization test, we can do the most important or commonly performed is the colonoscopy. And in some patients, we can look only at the left side of the colon because it not necessarily because the right colon has less incidence of colon cancer. It's pretty much equally distributed, but less flexible sigmaras for the left colon when you then we can reduce at least half the risk of it. That is another way of looking for colon cancer, particularly left, uh, left colon cancer. We don't do that regularly unless for a specific reason. But there is a group of people either 
do not want a colonoscopy or they are deemed at a high risk for a colonoscopy or more commonly we are not able to complete the colonoscopy for whatever reasons like technical reasons they have a very very tortuous colon and then the colonoscopy is a flexible instrument but it's not totally flexible so if your colon has too much tortuosity and i can examine the whole colon without risking putting the patient at a higher risk for colon perforation then what we do is we do something called a ct colonography wherein we do a very like a cat scan ct scan after bowel prep with air and contrast and that'll help as figure out if there are any polyps they are not as sensitive as colonoscopy and similarly it cannot get you a tissue diagnosis so let's say if there is a polyp again we have to repeat do a colonoscopy to get a tissue for diagnosis or to remove the polyp and there are also capsules which are coming they are on in 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 the pipelines and some places are used they're also found to be specific these capsules go through the colon and then figure it out and the latest advances which is not available for mainstream as yet is robotic colonoscopy which is you know like with everything else in life there is advances significant advances happening in healthcare which is great yeah yeah that that is amazing just before we close dr elias is there anything else that you want to share with our audience around colonoscopies and why they're necessary. The colonoscopy, the promise has been that if you endure the awkwardness and invasiveness of having a camera travel the length of your large intestine once every decade after age of 45, you have the best chance of catching and perhaps preventing colorectal cancer. One of the fear of having to go through a procedure is what if they identify something that's very human for us to know if that were to happen we have all the means the earlier we identify the better it is we have minimally invasive surgeries robotic surgeries all of those are available and we will be able to take care of it if necessary well dr elias thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it thank you thank you for having me. That was Dr. Ayub Elias, a colon rectal surgeon with Eisenhower's General Surgery Specialty Clinic. Thanks for listening to Eisenhower's Living Well podcast. For more information, you can go to eisenhowerhealth.org/gi. If you found this podcast to be helpful, please share it on your social channels and be sure to check out the entire podcast library for topics of interest to you. My name is Prakash. Thanks again for listening and be well.